Good morning, Mr. Rabbi Krohn. Um, before we begin, today the Learning the Shul is sponsored by the Gottlob family in honor of the Shalosh of Brachla's grandmother, Cyril Bas Yisrael Chaim. And we thank the Gottlob family who endow our Dafa Shavuot program. In addition, I noticed that today is also the yard site of Mrs. Lehrer, Hanabas Yaakov Ben Sion, who donated, whose family donated these shenders that we use, or some of us use as part of the Daf, our Daf program. So, so we are on Samach Vav Amit Aleph at the very bottom, about two lines from the bottom. So we've been talking about the concept of property that a woman brings into a marriage, and there's two categories. There's what's called Son Barzel. Son Barzel is where the value of the item is written into the Ksuba, and the husband, in essence, assumes responsibility for... Um, the property and is responsible to pay the wife back on his death or on divorce that same amount that she brought into the marriage. And then there's also what's known as Nifse Malog, which is where she retains the right of the asset, but the husband has the right to its benefits. So as a result, she's always she's able to take the the property back with her. And if the property goes up in value or down in value, it's her responsibility where with the Son Barzel, if the property goes up or down, um, it's on the husband to deal with because the asset in essence belongs to him. So we're going to question that a little bit now in the Gemara. Itamar Meknesis Shumavala. So a woman brings into her marriage a praised property, meaning it's the Son Barzel category where she brings in whatever property she brings in, and it's written in the Ksuba, that she brought in property of $100. So we, we learned previously is that if the value goes up, it's the benefit of the husband. If the value goes down, it's the, it's the issue of the husband. Um, but he has to certainly give her back $100 in one form or another. So he omeres kleonino telos. If she says, as part of the process, that she wants to take back that property, meaning let's say she brought in, a, I don't know, a car, and it's written in the car is worth $1,000. And now she says, I want to take back my car. Um, so he says, you know what, that's fine. I'll give you back the $1,000 value of the car. So the machokas here is, is like whether she's allowed to say, I want back the exact car that I brought in, and he has to give her back the exact car, or whether he just has to give her back the value. Now, our assumption to this point was that um, because it's sown barzel, that all he has to do is return her the value, and therefore that's why he he benefits if it goes up in value and he loses if it goes down in value. Um, so the question now here is, is that in reality, so who who has the right? So does the wife have the right to say, I want this actual car back? Or does the husband have the right to say, I'm going to keep this car and I'm going to give you its value back? So Rabbi Yehuda on there, he says, turning to Daf Ahmed Beis, Hadinima, that it, it belongs to her. That she has the right to demand the actual property. Rav Ami Amar Hadidim Rav Ami says, no, the actual property belongs to him, and he only has to return the actual value. So, what's the rationale for each case? Rabbi Huda Omer Hadidim he says the, it goes with her, she has the right to demand the actual property. Because, because the property represents like the, the prestige of the father's household. So, it's kind of like this is the fancy car that always belonged to her father and therefore she has the right to demand it back that it kind of is like the the pride of the family so therefore she's allowed to demand the property back rav ami amar hadini mo she says no he says that the it goes with him 
came into Aramar because we learned in our Mishnah, Imesu Mesulo, Vimosiro Sirulo, um, that if the if the uh, when it's when it's a Son Barzel slave, if the slave dies, that's his problem. He still has to return to her the exact value. Vimosiro Sirulo, and if the value of the slave went up, then it's his benefit. And all he has to do is return the value. And therefore, we learned in our Mishnah, and this was the case of where um, it was not an appropriate marriage, but since he was responsible he was responsible to feed them and they were allowed to eat truma, is what we learned. Since he had that responsibility, therefore it's, it's deemed to be, in essence, his asset, and all that he owes to the woman is the value of the asset, not the actual asset itself. So that's the basis for um, this, this view of it. Um, but the challenge to our mission is Amr of Safra, Mika Sani Vahin Does the Mishnah say that the Tzon Barzel Avadim, because they eat Truma, that's because they're actually his slaves? Did they actually, does he actually feed them because they belong to him? No, Hoel the Chayabachri Yasakatani. It only says because he's responsible for them. It only says that the, the reason he has to, he's able to feed them Truma is because he's responsible for them. Doesn't say it's because he owns them. In reality, they're not his. They will still belong to his wife. He just takes on responsibility for having to sustain them. So this is trying to um, to argue that our Mishnah is not saying that he takes ownership of them. He just takes responsibility to feed them. Um, so and it's that any slave that the that the Cohen is responsible for. Um, has to eat truma, and that doesn't that doesn't necessarily prove that he actually owns them. However, about tonight we learned to the Mishnah in Trumos, Yisrael should sacher parami kohen. So Yisrael, a non kohen who rents a cow from a kohen, kashina truma. He's allowed to feed the animal that's that's truma because the animal, even though he's renting the animal, the animal is still the property of the kohen. And Kohen Shesachar Param Yisrael, and a Kohen that rents a cow from Yisrael, even though the Kohen is responsible to feed the, the animal, he's not allowed to feed a truma. So this kind of refutes the concept that if just because he's responsible to care for the property, that means that it reflects ownership. It doesn't reflect ownership, it just reflects responsibility that the Kohen, in this case, would have to feed the animal that he's renting. However, since it does not truly belong to him, it's really the property of the non-Kohen that he's renting, that he therefore he's not allowed to feed a truma, and vice versa, that in, if it's Yisrael, that even though um, he's responsible to feed it, it doesn't reflect his ownership. The ownership still belongs to the Kohen, and he's... Um, and he's actually only renting it, and he's, because he's responsible to feed it, he's not able to feed it. He's able to feed a truma because it's truly the property of the owner. Um, so the Gemara's Fatisfer, do you really think that um, that people that are renting it are really responsible for the animals, as it says in our Mishnah? That is, Gneva Uvaveda. Although it's true that when someone rents an animal, that they're they're liable in a case of gneva Aveda. So if someone rents an animal for someone else, and they're snow and they're stolen or they lose the animal, the person takes on responsibility. This is for Baba Mitzia, The person takes on the responsibility 
they have to pay back for the actual animal. But onsa, but if it's actually ones, where it clearly was out of the control of the renter, or where the animal becomes weak or it loses its value, the renter is not responsible to pay back for the difference. So in this case, what this is saying is that if you have a Kohen that is renting property, he's really only taking on responsibility up to a certain level. He's not responsible to um, ensure the value no matter what happens. He's only responsible to, um, if it ap- happens to be stolen or it happens to, or it happens to be um, lost. But if something natural happens that's beyond his control, he's not responsible to make up for it. So in, in this case, when it comes to renting of an animal, he's really only taking on partial responsibility. But in our Mishnah, we talked about the Tzon Barzel, it said, basically said if the animal dies, it's his responsibility. If something natural, supernatural or natural beyond his control happens, it doesn't exclude it from his responsibility. He still takes on responsibility to, um, to return the value of it to its wife. So it's not necessarily a, a, a good analogy to compare the case of renting an animal with our case from Son Barzo that we learned in our Mishnah. So, um, but there's a there's more to the Mishnah that we, we just learned this Mishnah in Truma that talks about um, renting of, uh, the renting of the animal and feeding the animal, but there's more to that Mishnah. And the Mishnah says, Our Mishnah's case, only you can compare it to the later part of the Mishnah that says, Yisrael Shasam Parabi Kohen, a Yisrael who evaluates a cow and renting it from a Kohen. Basically, what he says is, I'm going to rent it at this value, and I'm going to guarantee it for this value. So he's basically doing more than just a um, simple type of, of renting. Um, what he's saying is that he's basically a saying that, I agree that this animal is worth $100 today, and he's renting it kind of at that value. In that case, lo truma. he can't feed the animal truma, because, um, in essence, when, he's, when they're setting the value, he is taking on a greater degree of self-ownership. He's kind of taking on, the, he's basically stating that he's, it's, it's sort of closer to purchasing the animal because he's guaranteeing its present value. And the flip side, um, a Kohen that does the same thing. When he rents the animal, he rents it guaranteeing its present value. So he, he basically, um, he's allowed to feed a truma because in these cases, um, in these cases, because he's, st- he's setting responsibility at a certain monetary level, he's saying, I'm, I'm renting this animal. Today it's worth $100. I'm guaranteeing $100. Therefore, he's, ta- he's in essence taking on a fuller degree of responsibility and therefore it becomes much more like his actual ownership and if he's a Kohen, he's allowed to feed a Truma and if he's Israel, he's not allowed to feed a Truma um, so that's more comparable to our Mishnah that talked about the Tzon Barzal possibilities. So now we're going to have some Baraisas that kind of support each point of view. Yosef, Rabba, Rav Yosef, Ishili, Perkid, Rav Nachman so Rabba and Rav Yosef were um, learning together with Rav Nachman, Yosef, Kamri, and they were saying that teaches like Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda said the wife is able to say, I want this piece of property back. Remember, she said that it was the piece of property. The, the argument was that the piece of property, because it was representative of the pride of, the, of her household that she came from, like her you know, parental you know, pride, whatever that is, 
um, you know, it's the, it's the piece of artwork that was always part of her family's legacy. Um, therefore, she's allowed to claim it back. And there's also Barash that rules like Ami Ra. Ami says no, that because he takes on, um, it's, it's written in the Ksuba that it's worth $100, he's only responsible to pay her back $100. He really takes ownership of the property and he's only responsible for its actual value. Um, Tanya Kavisei the Ravami, the Bryce that's like Ravami, that says, that a Tzon Barzal slave is allowed to, le- is allowed to um, leave, the, he's, he's responsible to, it, the, the, the slave goes free if, there, if he loses a tooth or an eye as a result of what's done by the husband himself. But it's not if it's caused by the wife. So um, that so what happens is the slave is set free only. So this goes back to the concept of a slave, where the owner, if the owner injures the slave in such a way where it knocks out its tooth or its eye, this comes from Mishpatim. Um, it basically says that the slave goes free. Um, so it says that only happens if that's done by the husband himself, but not by the wife. If the wife happens to have hit the slave and caused it to lose an eye or a tooth. It would not go go free. So what this is implying is that the animal that's its own barzel or slave. I'm sorry, the slave, which is its own barzel slave, belongs to the husband. It does not belong to the wife because if it belonged to the wife, then if she injured the slave, it would go free as well. But because it's only if the owner himself does it, and the owner in this in this case case is the husband, is what it's 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 um, positing that. Because the owner is its own barzel, it means that the owner himself owns the owns the slave, and therefore only if the husband himself injures the slave, that it causes the slave to go free, but not the wife. Um, so now this is this is a brayser that goes the other like Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says it would, the wife has the right to claim the actual property. A woman who brings property into her marriage and and they establish the value. That's similar, to exactly like our Mishnah about establishing the value. That if the husband wants to sell that property, he's not allowed to sell it. Oh, not only, not only that. That even if the husband brings this, um, even if he brings evaluated property for his wife from his own property, He's not allowed to sell it. So what does this mean? Um, so if the husband gives a gift to his wife that he classifies as sown barzel property, um, he's also not allowed to he's not allowed to sell it as well. Um, and even more so, that either of the two of them, if the husband or the wife sell this property for parnasa, and Rashi clarifies that it doesn't necessarily mean that they have, they sell it for parnasa, meaning they sell it to sustain themselves. It just that's the most common reason that someone would have sold their property. So if either the husband or the wife sells the tzon barzel property um, to someone else, the husband is allowed to go back to the people that he sold it from to, or she sold it to, and take it back. And Rashi says, which is interesting. I'm sorry, thank you. This happened before Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel. The husband is allowed to take it from the Lakuchos. If you look at Rashi, right in the middle, 
It's not only the case that if he sold the animal that was classified as its own barzel, and that she is allowed to go and say, wait a minute, this property was, um, it, you know, was kind of collateralized for me, and allowed to take it back. If she dies, he's allowed to go back to the people that he sold it to. That even though he was the one who sold it himself, he's allowed to go back and he say, guess what? The sale that I made was not a valid sale. And therefore, I'm allowed to collect it when she dies. So in either case, that even though if it was sold, it's not considered a valid sale. So therefore, the husband can't sell its own Barzell property to guarantee that. And that kind of is a parallel to the view that the husband has to return the actual sown Barzell property and not just its value. So the halacha is noted in uh, noted here. Amr Rava Amr Nachman. Halacha Karab Yehuda. The halacha follows Rav Yehuda. That said, Rav Yehuda was the one that said that it's it's considered like it's the it's the wife's property, is it? Because you know, think of it as like it's a, a legacy property that was always in the family, and therefore she's allowed to take it back. So why why is the halacha like Rav Yehuda? Amalei Rava or Rav Nachman. Rav Rava says to Rav Nachman. But we have a Baraisa that follows Ravami. So why would you rule like Rav Yehuda? If we have a Baraisa also that says like Rav Ami, that it belongs to the husband, why are you jumping to say that the Allah follows Rav Yehuda? Rav Nachman answers, the that Even though, uh, yes, there's a Baraisa like Ravami, I find the Baraisa that went like Rav Yehuda more logical. That the husband that the wife has the right to claim the property back because it was viewed as the um, the pride of the family and therefore she's allowed to, to bring it back. So moving on, he say there was once a woman, the Ilagavre, it's the Melsa Biksubasa, who brought her husband this cloak that was part of her um, was like a dowry, and um when the husband died. The orphans took the cloak and they laid it over his body. Um, and when Amarava and Rava said, Kanye Misne, that the corpse acquired the garment, that the garment is not allowed to be used by anything, anything anymore. Um, it only can remain, it's really the property of the deceased, and therefore it's used. And the the, the explanation for that is generally when you know anything that's used for Tahrikin. It's, it, it kind of becomes like like somewhat hectish of sorts, and therefore is not allowed to be used for anything else. So in this case, when they when the orphans took this cloak and they put it over the husband, the husband's body, it became his property. So even though in theory it was um, the property of the wife, um, when the when the orphans took it and put it over the husband's body, it no longer became her property. So how does how does this work? Amalei Nani Bereb Yosef Bereid the Rav Rav Kahana Nani the son of Yosef the son of Rav says Rav Kahana Vamar Rav Amar Rav Nach but Halacha Karav Yehuda the Halacha follows Rav Yehuda the property should have been the property of the wife so why wouldn't she be able to then go and take this garment back that if the garment didn't belong to the husband therefore it didn't belong to the Yisomim who were the heirs of the husband and they had no right to take this garment and to lay it over his body so she shouldn't dare be able to go back and take it back. So 
So this is a, this is a little bit of a complicated concept of mechuser gavnai that the the art scroll defines it as the property lacks collection. That um, that what happens is that when when this property is in this state that it is um, it, the husband has possession of it, but it's really the property of the wife. It's in kind of this this middle ground where it lacks collection. You can't collect it because it's in the it's in the husband's domain, but it's really the property of the wife, and therefore it's sort of in this middle space. The chaven the mechuser gubnai and since in this case it lacks this collection because it's in the husband's possession, um, therefore because it's in the husband's possession, they can take it and they could use it for this purpose. They could use it and put it over the body of the of their father, and therefore once they put it over the body of their father, it it becomes ushered to be used for something else. Um, and Rava Rava Latame Rava follows his own reasoning. The Amarava Hektesh chametz. Um, when something is hektesh, um, it becomes prohibited. Just like if it was, um, if if something, um, if something hektesh is chametz, right? So if um, let me just make sure I understand this. So you put if something was like a lean that was put on something that was chametz, and then Pesach begins. Turning to the next page, v'shichror. Um, or if someone designate someone freed a slave um, that he had designated as an apitoki, I don't really understand what that means. Mafkia mide shiba that release the property from the lien of the creditor. So in either in, in in these cases where you have this situation where you have property that's sort of in between, it's in one's possession but it's not really owned by them. So if you talk about like like chametz, which is not you know the, the person renounces ownership of it, but it's in the in the in the property of someone else or something that's hegdesh that he's holding on to that doesn't really belong to them because it's hegdesh but they're holding on to it or this slave that has this other state, then they you can't really uh, create a lien against that item because that item is in that weird middle space. Amar Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda says. If the wife brings her husband into the marriage, two vessels that are worth together a thousand zuz, and during the marriage they go up in value and they reach the value of two thousand zuz, so each vessel is now worth a thousand zuz, so she could take one of the vessels when the marriage is over to pay back her ksuva because they, they guaranteed the value of a thousand. And she may give money, she can buy back the she can buy back the second vessel as well for a thousand sos. Because this vessel represents the prestige of the father's house. This is kind of like a middle ground. That he guaranteed her a thousand. Now that but she wants those two vessels back because they belong to her husband. They belong to her father, I'm sorry. So because of that, what she's allowed to do is take back one of the vessels that's worth a thousand, which is the amount that she's guaranteed. And she's also entitled to purchase the other item back for its value. Micah So what does this teach us? Shevach basavia di that the that the vessel that um, that that are that belong to her father's household. She she has the right that are, that she's able to take it back. Ha'amar Rabbi Yehuda Chadav Rabbi Yehuda taught this already. So what are we learning new by this? The Gemara answers this this something different. We learn here. My the tema. You might have said. 
This would make sense only if these they, the, the vessels were appropriate to her to come back when she collects her ksuba. But to give that she has to pay additional money to take back the vessels, that's not something we would have learned, Kamash So we learn that, so this kind of is a little different than what we learned earlier. It's not, according to this, that she's allowed to take back the property regardless of the fact that it went up, it went up in value. What this is saying is that she's allowed to take back the property. However, she has to pay up the difference. So even though, so this is kind of like a middle answer that the husband guaranteed a thousand. Now it's worth two thousand. She's entitled to take it back. However, she has to pay back the difference and make up the two thousand. So with this, we'll stop. Thank you very much. Everyone should have a wonderful day.